you know, if that's the next beer, you know, the next national brand that can take it to the world, then, um, you know, then uh, that doesn't, doesn't say much for um, national brands for beer or for Australia. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on Thursday, 27 October 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by industry consultant Sabrina Kunz. And we are joined by special guest Jade Flavel, founder of the Wheat Chief Hotel and the, the Weedy Brewing Corps. Jade, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We've spoken to you. In fact, you are one of the voices in our Beer as a Conversation opening. Uh, a, a short quote from you in, um, amongst the names that join us uh, every week on the Beer as a Conversation podcast. Fantastic. Fantastic. I <laughs> hate to think what I may be, uh, may be saying, but that's all right. But uh, you, you were also, two weeks ago, uh, the recipient of the Service to Industry Award at the Indies. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was amazing. Um, quite an honour. And looking at all the other people who have uh, won that award in the past, uh, absolute you know, legends of the industry and the community, uh, some of whom are very much retired, so you know, might be a little hit there. But no, that, 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 was, a, <laughs> that, that, was, that was fantastic. And... Um, you know, I think, uh, what did I say, a 20 year overnight success. You know, it's been just shy yeah. of 20 years for the weedy now, uh, wow. in a couple of months. Um, and, uh, yeah, things have certainly changed over that time. But it was, yeah, it was lovely, lovely to get peer recognition. Um, and as I mentioned at the time, you know, just looking around the room, uh, most, if not all, of the breweries uh, that were there, um, had either launched at the Weedy or had some of their first, you know, craft pints at the Weedy, the light bulb moment at the Weedy, and that was uh, that was just, you know, that warms warms the cockles of the heart. You know, that's that's kind of why why we do it. You know, it's for those light bulb moments and and to see people, you know, come experience something and then and then go forth and create uh, these amazing venues and beers of their own. Um, yeah, it was lovely. Jay, do you still love it? Like. And the reason I say that is Matt and I were just having a long conversation off mic about sort of the changes in the industry and he's in um, Bangkok right now doing some reporting out of Seabrew and, you know, the vibe there is a little bit more sort of the vibe that was here 10 years ago and I just sort of, do you still love it 20 years in? I mean, it's completely different, but do you love it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it depends which day you ask me, I suppose, but, you know, it's like... like being asked which you know which your favorite beer is it's a uh, effectively you know they're all kind of your children and I guess like them uh it depends on the day and you know you have your favorite and keep the rest for spare parts um so I mean yes yes there are elements of it that are that are um that I think will always um uh, really in, I find engaging and I will I will love you know and seeing the evolution of the uh, community in the industry has been fantastic I think a lot of really, really good stuff has happened in the last 20 years in terms of beer. I mean, 20 years ago, we would have said it would be a fantastic thing to have, you know, effectively good beer on every corner and for good beer to be, uh, you know, the baseline. Um, and then people can um, sort of, you know, go down various rabbit holes from that point, whether it's hyper-specialization, localization, whatever. Um, so I think that aspect of it has been amazing. I think, you know, talking about micro malting, small hop growers, yeast, all those uh, in- ingredients and sort of bringing them home, so to speak, with its own twist. I think that's been amazing. Um, but there's still, you know, there's still a long way to go. And I think, you know, early days, Matt, and I think we've spoken about this before, you kind of knew everyone in the industry. You know, 20, 20 years ago, you'd, you'd know most people in the industry. And I think, in a sense, that that village kind of mentality kept everyone pretty tight. 
um, there was a lot of cooperation um, and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of generosity in the industry. Uh, and I'm, I, I know that's still around, but perhaps there's a, a slightly more cutthroat element that has been added. And, you know, ironically, early days, you know, craft was sort of uh, set up in opposition to mainstream beer and mainstream lager in particular, um, and railing against the idea of beer as a commodity. And it kind of seems like we're coming full circle and beer is a commodity again for some players. And, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, the realm of marketers and bean counters. And, and we're talking about all those kinds of things. It's an investment and, you know, it could be part of a portfolio that includes water rights and casinos, you know, so it's not necessarily just about, you know, or primarily about the beer. There's still um, obviously a lot of people getting into the industry because they love it, you know. And uh, a lot of people, when we when I first started, uh, got into brewing in the brewing industry from somewhere else. So they already had um, uh, other other qualifications. They often had quite successful careers, and uh, and then wanted to uh, change down a few gears and get into brewing and or hospitality. And so there was that that genuine passion for it. And I think to a degree um, uh, that not necessarily has left, but I think it's been tempered. And I think there's a, a certain um, uh, you know, the, the, there are a few uh, few players who are in it for the business side of things. It's just a business, could be making shoelaces, happen to be making beer. The minute it doesn't look as uh, profitable or attractive, then those, you know, those investors uh, will go elsewhere. I think that's a bit of a shame, but I guess that's a sign of the industry maturing, if you can call it that. And I think the, um, you know, the whole independence in, uh, conversation is one that we certainly, is, is very live, you know, and one that I think we need to continue to keep having. Oh, there's, there's, there's so much there. We might have to get mm. you back on uh, Beer is a Conversation because we've got a lot of news that we need to cover as well. So we might even uh, pick up a conversation with you about some of those things to celebrate 20 years of the Weedy. And I'll be in Adelaide in a couple of weeks' time, so I might even see if I can uh, get in your diary and uh, have a bit of a chat around that. That'd but be great. let's talk a little bit about the news. And some of these themes are no doubt going to come up throughout uh, our news coverage and one of those that you touched on uh, that we wrote about this week uh, malting revival and provenance discussed at the ANHC small scale equipment and provenance uh, are malting trends set to impact the brewing industry homebrewers were told at last week's Australian National Homebrew Conference during the presentation the malt renaissance Voyager Craft Malt founder and director Stuart Wycross explored the current trends and innovations within the malting industry which he said are set to be opportunities for both homebrewers and the wider industry I think it's not unrealistic to think that in the next five years, there'll be maybe 25 or 30 craft malt houses in Australia, which I think is really exciting. Um, yeah, congratulations to uh, our journalist, Vivian Topalovich, who went down and covered the uh, uh, homebrew conference. Apparently, she is one of a very small number of women, um, which seems like a shame uh, for, for, home, for a homebrewing conference, but a really interesting story to come out of that. Jade, do you guys use the Voyager malt? Uh, we haven't yet, no, but certainly uh, certainly very keen to. We played with um, some very early trial batches of local maltsters um, and being a very small brewery, 600 litres means, you know, a, uh, one or 200 kilos of malt could go a long way, which is fantastic. And uh, we can, hmm. you know, we can be quite a, a useful lab in that sense. Uh, but um, Voyager, no, but certainly very keen Um and certainly the conversation... And it didn't have to be Voyager, yeah, so it wasn't Voyager specific to oh, use craft yeah. malt, um, I should ask, yeah. Craft malt, definitely, you know, and uh, happy to play, um, happy to play 
with with any any quality malt essentially, uh, and this is really exciting. Uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, Al from Lobethal Beer House has been micro malting for years. Uh, off the top of my head, I'd say would be getting close to ten years, uh, and certainly one of the first uh, micro breweries to be doing that, uh, and that's really exciting. And I remember talking to Al and about it and he, he he loves it like that's that's his uh his passion his rabbit hole is the malting process and he um regards it as as technically challenging if not more so than brewing and he said you know as a brewer it's quite easy to take malt for granted and maltsters often say look we do most of the work for you in the malt house and brewers these days have it pretty easy certainly in terms of you know step mashing decoction etc etc or not having to do those things um, and Al has you know, utmost respect for maltsters and what he's learnt about malt through the process has been um, absolutely fascinating. So the you know potential for that to replicate across other breweries, you know, and I, I, I'm sure there will be breweries who take on malting. I suspect they don't really know what they're in for. <laughs> um, it sounds like quite a terrifying process and very rewarding, but the prospect of micro maltsters is very, very exciting. It's one of the things that was always the nub of craft brewing was using, you know, smaller scale um, ingredients and, you know, going for complexity of flavor. But then as the market has evolved and, you know, cost pressures, it's a much more expensive way. And when brewers have to be their own marketing person, their own delivery driver, to have to be your own maltster as well um, is very, very hard in a small craft brewery. And then to actually, you know, scale to get some of those resources to do some of those other things, you need to be a bigger brewery. And sometimes the way that you get to be the bigger brewery is by, you know, taking on more commercially available malts and, you know, cutting down some of those costs. It's a, it, it, it's a really interesting challenge. So for people like Lobethal to be doing that is a, you know, is, is huge kudos to them. Matt, I was thinking about it in terms of you wrote a story out of the US a few months CBC, ago. Uh, CBC. Small-scale pasteurizers. Small-scale pasteurizers. We've looked at small-scale canning equipment. And it is this uh, sort of move that says these technological changes in equipment are actually meaning small-scale stuff is becoming more viable and I mean that both economically but also just Mm. physically viable and so you know my head went to I think the rest of this article sort of said you know it wouldn't be surprising if our breweries can get uh, a small-scale maltster within 100 kilometers and you go well if the small-scale maltster doesn't need to hire sales staff and they don't need to um, distribute Australia-wide so Mm. pay a lot for manufacturing and distribution some of those cost savings by having a local maltster and breweries like that hub and spoke model that are much closer that links into this provenance and local that is kind of this sort of return to craft from yep. the 20 years ago and that is that this it plays into the brew pub model the play of sort of make your own beer on site and and I just think there is a it's good to see that some of these technological innovations are going to enable what might be a bit of a disruption. I'm not talking whole-scale industry, but those percentages of ones that want to be really craft. But I think it's because there's a whole ecosystem and there's almost separate ecosystems you need to play in because if you are going to go that, you know, real craft ingredients approach because it is more expensive, there is going to be a lot more variability, um, I would imagine, you know, from seasonal and batch-to-batch variability, which is what craft brewing is about, the audience for beers with that complexity and nuance and changeability 
has never grown. Um, no. You know, I think, Jade, you, you might agree, 15, 20 years ago, we were hoping to convert the world of lager drinkers and Corona drinkers to suddenly look for nuance and complexity where they just want the same thing. They, you know, they, they want to know that every beer that they open is the same. They want to know that it's a certain price. And I think if you're going to participate in, in, in this real crafted approach, you almost need to develop your own ecosystem of craft beer venues that are willing to sell at a higher price because they've got an audience that will follow um you need bottle shops that want specialty products that don't just want to have you know the 16 dollar four pack the 20 dollar four pack and the 24 dollar four pack they, they they need to have a clientele that is educated enough to be able to um see value in some of these uh, nuanced things and, and that's one of the challenges that beer has never really confronted lifting the value proposition of beer um the the way that wine has premium wines have as you mentioned i think the the struggle with micro malting or <clears throat> small hop growers yeast etc is exactly the same as that which craft beer faced so it's it's why is what you're making better more interesting um more complex etc etc why should you spend more money on on something that's brewed locally as opposed to something that's imported or um, a generic sort of industrial lager so same challenge and i think there has been movement in that most certainly um not Mm. perhaps not as uh as much as we would have liked um and to a degree i think we've got ourselves to blame as an industry and this i i think um misplaced obsession with growth for growth's sake you know and i think the question for us that we've always looked at is 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 growth is fantastic and and you know obviously that education process and bringing bringing people along with us um but uh growth at what cost you know and if that growth is not organic Mm. growth and it's not something that's sustainable because it's not you know not a lot of talk about sustainability in that sense you can sell something once you can you know you can underprice your competitors you know repeatedly uh you could there could be a race to the bottom but when it comes to uh people actually you know appreciating uh quality beer and being prepared to pay for it uh it's part of the, the bigger picture and i think if there is the you know the the battle for tap contracts which is still a discussion you know that, that i think we need to have um the fact that we have tap contracts at all the fact that small independent breweries are behaving like the the bigger players and doing what you know it's very just very animal farm you know they're doing to uh, they're doing to smaller breweries what what the larger breweries did to them you know so in that context i don't think you're going to see the evolution of 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 taste and palate at the same rate as you would if you just 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 took it back made it sustainable made it organic and you know you're sort of bringing people around one pint at a time Matt, I don't want to jump too far in the story, but I don't know if you had the same thought that I did. But one of the um, – you did a beer as a conversation with James Phillip from uh, CGA this week on their Pulse report. And yep. um, we've got – you've done an article about that, but one of the other comments that he made in the actual beer as a conversation, it was talking about – um, consumers, how consumers perceive value and the difference between value and price. Um, and he was talking about the idea that if a craft beer pint is $15 but it's poured out of a tap and handed to you versus a um, non-alcoholic spirit that is $18 but it's made into this beautiful mocktail with all of this theatre with the bartender who does all of this 
and it's Instagram worthy and people can take a picture of it and show that they're here, people will pay that $18 for that product that has potentially, because they perceive the value at that level versus the beer that looks like another beer that's anywhere else because of this perception, not about price. And he was talking about in the context of on-premise experience, what consumers are willing to pay. And of course, Jade, they're talking well beyond craft beer aficionados, but to the broader market. And it is this really interesting question that says, how do we, in an on-premise way, create the, I would use the word theatre, but I don't mean it in a, I mean it in that sort of really experience, and I think, Jade, you were talking about this, that sort of creates the story that people go, I want to pay the $15 a pint, please, because I get the value. That's again coming from kind of uh corporate speak you know and, and, and if, of course yeah 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 and it's it's the fact that they're not necessarily getting it is not a problem i think you know i i think uh there are a lot of obviously with you know with instagram and that notion of of what's visible and a lot of people being um very noisy whether it's untapped instagram whatever a lot of uh people being noisy about beer sometimes in a very helpful way sometimes not um but they're the, they're not the majority of beer drinkers, you know, and I think we need to keep that in mind. In and certainly, uh, at the Weedy, um, one of the things that 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 I'm um, you know most uh, you know, most chuffed about really is that the regular punters, you know, so people who who are coming in, they just want a good beer, you know, they want mm. uh, whether that's a good a stout, a good porter, a good lager, a good hoppy pale. And the notion, or their their availability, the availability of those beers has obviously changed a lot. And now, you know, you, you can come in and ask for a style that you wouldn't, you didn't know existed five, ten years ago, that I didn't know existed twenty years ago, um, that didn't exist five years ago. Uh, so the, the 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 options have changed, but the number of people who they they're not they're not beer nerds. They're not, uh, it's, you know, they're not putting up what they're drinking on Instagram. They're not even necessarily clocking it on Untapped, but they just come in and want really, really good beer. Um, the advantage that I see with something like the Weedy, which is a pub, anyone can, anyone does walk through the doors, and we get a lot of people who mm. are there for the beer. We get a lot of people who aren't there for the beer. They might come and see the band, uh, and we have live music four to six nights a week, so we get completely different crowds in those nights. And uh I like to say we ambush them with good beer in the nicest possible way. So they come to listen to some live music and then all of a sudden they're confronted with this tap list. Uh, and our job is to, you know, to make that journey a pleasant one and, and hopefully, you know, set something off and go, wow, this, that, that was really delicious. And um, certainly the, the general level of um, knowledge about beer is, is, you know, many, 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 many times what, what it was, you know, five, 10, mm. even 20 years ago. The struggle for us 20 years ago was uh, having to explain what an IPA was, what a porter was, what an oatmeal stout was. Now you're getting um, regular punters who are asking the differences between IPAs and hopping schedulers and what, what's this dip hop technique, you know, and not in a pretentious mm. or a, a testy way. It's like they just genuinely want to know. But some of them don't, you know, and I think it's easy to confuse or to uh, look at the very noisy beer drinkers and assume that that's that's most beer drinkers because uh, I don't think it is. I think I, again, Jade, you've built such a strong community at the Weedy. It's a, it, it it's a place that you have a community around. I guess it's the places that people don't feel that sense of community in that are trying to sell craft beer more expensively, but just in a standard pot glass. Um, and I, I think when beer is 
got so much competition elsewhere because of the Instagram culture, you know, people who aren't necessarily into beer, but when beer just looks as unappealing as it did 20 years ago, you know, badly poured in a pot glass, beer running down the sides, leaving a puddle on the on, on, on the table, that level of service and experience around beer has never changed, even though what's in the glass often has. I think it, it, it's one of the great failings the industry has had is that we haven't, without making beer pretentious or wanky, but our expectations for service are much higher these days than, um, you know, at, 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 at the old local pub um, where it was just a lager and, a, in, in, and it was mainly drunk by men. Um, you know, there, there is this whole Instagram culture or there's a whole sharing your experience culture that I don't think beer taps into very well. To a degree. I mean, again, I'm looking at the weedy and looking at certain venues where I know that that's, that's not the case. You know, you, you go there and you, yep. you have a good experience. But I think I think it ties into the much bigger pictures and, and you know, if, if anything, looking at independence, for example. So if you're looking at, yeah. you know, uh, I think punters are sick of being sold stories when they're just stories. You know, and and the bullshit, the bullshit. A lot being of independent. A, <laughs> there, there's a lot of independents who are playing that game these days abso- as well. Absolutely, there like, are. You know, and it's only it's only part of the you know it's only part of the, the puzzle. Um, and you could argue that with all the recent sales over the last couple of years of very high profile pro independent breweries, uh, it's very very much devalued. You know, the the brand of independence and the notion of independence. And I think a lot of punters are pretty weary of it and uh, cynical and say, sure, no worries, you're, you're interested in beer, you're interested in quality, you're interested in doing something different um, until you get the tap on the shoulder, you know. And I think it's just such a familiar story now. I think there's a degree of um, fatigue surrounding that. So I think that makes it difficult to tell certain stories, you know, or explanations as to why you're doing things. But I think in the broader hospitality context, you know, there was um, – uh, article uh i think in beer and brewer talking about the evolution of brew pubs um uh, or tap rooms moving towards brew pubs and essentially brew pubs becoming pubs and it's like that's that's all that's happening like they're becoming pubs they're realizing that you can't just have some taps in the corner and pour a few beers and say that there you go there's your experience it's actually hospitality and i think that is not new and i think it's been around for a very long time i think hospitality industry itself has had a lot of problems and i i think in South Australia in particular, we have had this real issue with pokey venues uh, where the vast majority of pubs have pokies. And in my opinion, that's the the opposite of hospitality. You know, having poker machines running your pub as a casino is the antithesis of hospitality. And punters get that. They smell it, you know. Yeah, I, I gave a talk to the Queensland Hotels Association basically saying that, that they were, you know, they'd given up their traditional places, the local because they've become casinos and you know it's get people in with the offer of cheap beer cheap food to lose money on the pokies which isn't what they want and they're not family friendly and they're not welcoming venues and the modern brew pub is what the traditional hotel once was and small bars as well yeah but the only flip side of that matt of course is now that hotels um and i know i've said this the last few weeks but hotels are now putting in brew pubs so hotels are still going to have their pokies, but they're now putting in a brew system. They're calling it a brewery. So they're not calling it brew pub. They're calling it a brewery as mm. part of their hotel offering. They are able to access, depending on how they've structured it, excise, 
uh, free excise and they are able to still get the pokies, but they get to get all the glamour of the hard work that the brewing industry has done for 20 years to be the place that people want to go to drink. So that competitive landscape and we've got the trademarks coming out from Bruce News in the next few weeks, but looking at those trademarks, hotels are trademarking beer names because they are going to be making their own beer. Uh, and we're not talking hotels as in like a pub, Jade, but we're talking a hotel group that has pokies and is now putting in a brewery. It's fascinating. It is isn't fascinating, it? and it's complicated. And I, I completely it's complicated. Just because you're a yeah. pub doesn't mean that you know. Well, I would argue most pubs, certainly in South Australia, uh, are not about hospitality. You know, they're they're about fleecing their customers as, as quickly as they can, um, <laughs> which is kind of kind of the opposite: attention deficit drinking and attention deficit dining. Um, and then you're getting uh, companies that own pubs uh, with pokies buying breweries as well so buying established breweries to then be able to put that beer in in all of their venues etc etc and i think this is where it, the understanding of you know uh, it is in the notion of independence alone enough to signify what we want it to signify and is a company that you know 0.001 percent of what it does is brew beer is that company an independent brewer you know sadly in many respects it might be regarded as that but the IBA, it's going to be an interesting world for the IBA as an association in the next few years. Yep. It's going to be very interesting for all of us. And uh, and, and that uh, part of the chat, uh, the, the article was on-premise drives customers to trial drinks, which was based on this week's Beer as a Conversation with James Phillips. Um, have a listen. It was a very interesting chat. Um, moving down the stories of the week, uh, growth and COVID impact Brewdog results. BrewDog Australia said it faced a tough start to the year as although revenues rose, losses continued. Flooding as well as the ongoing impacts of COVID during Q1 impacted many hospitality businesses in the first quarter and BrewDog was no different. Um, their revenues uh, rose to $4.2 million from $3.6 million. However, the cost of sales grew considerably as well from $2.3 million to $3 million. Retail venues declined very slightly from $3.4 million last year to $3.39 million. Um, and that comes at, as just a, they're about to open their second venue in in Brisbane um, with, with the brewery as well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think that the Queensland government uh, really, can, while they wanted to be celebrated for luring Brewdog, they've kicked an own goal by bringing in a major competitor to their own locally financed breweries and their expansion isn't in Queensland creating Queensland jobs. They're, they're increasingly looking at, uh, you know, I think even the, the media release that we got was from a Sydney-based uh, PR company. So even their their PR isn't uh, locally uh, based, despite the Queensland government's uh, support for them, um, which, you know, one, one of those and challenges. Queensland breweries won five out of the 11 trophies at the Indies. So five out of the 10 style trophies, yeah. Style trophies, so, and some major trophies. So absent significant government investment, mm. Queensland breweries are themselves making high-quality beer. So just yep. a little... I, I'm currently the only one of the three sitting here in Queensland, and so I'm just going to make my little uh, hometown plug for the quality of beer that is being made, despite legitimate financial support. And imagine, imagine how much more beer they could make if uh, you know their own government supported them to the same degree it supports uh, you know international breweries. Uh, and I mean, it, you know, I think the South Australian government put in a put in a bid, a pick me, pick me bid for Brewdog yep. as well, and I'm really very happy that they didn't succeed it seems bizarre to me for you know given the the strength 
uh, of the scene in in most states, mm-hmm. certainly Queensland. South Australia is on, you know, is is there's there's movement here, and there are some fantastic breweries that have opened in the last year alone. Uh, and just imagine with anything like that kind of support for local breweries, how uh, how much the quality could have improved, you know. And I find that yeah, I find that quite bizarre, absolutely quite bizarre. And uh, you know, Australia has a proud history of inviting, you know, international companies, multinationals who generally don't tend to to uh, you know do their fair share of the tax lifting. Not not suggesting that that's Brewdog, but you know there are, there are certainly some, uh, and there it's 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 a net loss to the community in in a nutshell. You know if, if they're not if 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 the larger multinationals if they're not paying their share of company tax, for example, if they're getting uh, state government grants, they're getting local government free kicks, uh, and generating. A certain number of jobs. What's the cost of that job? I'd like. I'd like to know what each one of those jobs costs, and is that money well spent? Mm. You know, because I, I suspect yep. it's a net loss to the community. And again, no, nothing against Brewdog making great beer. Good luck to them, but it was just more uh, own goal for the Queensland government. Um, you know, when they could have been looking, uh, there was nothing about bringing a foreign brewery to Australia that makes. Australian brewing and brewing better or the Australian retail experience better because it's something that could easily have been done locally. So imagine if they'd invested eight hundred thousand dollars in promoting the TAFE courses to get new people in yeah. through the education pipeline, which is currently not occurring. There is no marketing in support of getting no. uh, staff through the industry. So imagine how far that would have gone in terms of advertising dollars. Or a tourism map, like a putting breweries on the state, putting some you know uh, marketing muscle behind uh, the, the region's breweries, um, the way that local councils are, the, yep. the, the Sunshine Coast are. Or so. subsidising lab facilities that smaller breweries, breweries can utilise to improve the quality of their product. You know, so many things, so many Dear things. Dear Queensland Government, if you're listening, we have a list. I'm sure the IBA have a list, but we know how to spend the money. <laughs> so what? What you know? The question is, what was the Queensland government thinking? What were, What were all governments who put in a pitch for it? Which I suspect is probably most governments. Where are they coming from? Basically, they 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 didn't know that they had a local industry um, in Queensland's case, and also there was something glamorous and exotic about luring you know someone internationally. Anyway, moving on. Uh, now, actually, two stories that uh, kind of relate to each other. Yeah. Um, one is 2022 Gabs and Can Design Award winners revealed. 152 of Australia's most exciting craft breweries entered this year's competition. Um, traditionally celebrated on 1st November, the Day of the Dead has come a little earlier with Victoria's Cavalier Brewings. Bloody Maria Imperial Goes Michelada, designed by Jason Burton, taking home the Aurora Golden Can Trophy in this year's Gabs Can Design Awards. Um, second place was the British India Pale Ale by Black Ops Brewery, and the third was Tawny Grogmouth by Buckety's uh, Brewing in New South Wales, which uh, again triggered an ABAC complaint that ABAC found against the, uh, despite it being highly commended or third place in the design, it didn't meet the ABAC test. Um, so that, yeah. Interesting. Some great designs there, but then also great design can also be problematic when it's applied to alcohol. So these beers are entered by the brewery. People over consumers all over Australia vote to get it into a top ten. A panel of design experts all vote, and so it's sort of there's no single there's no consensus building like rank one to ten. They come to, but through all of that, people are going. This seems like a beer label that fits within the. Um, plethora of beer labels available nobody like looks at it and goes 
oh, I think out of the 100 breweries, it jumps out as one that is being marketed to children. And yet, as ABAC noted uh, in their response, because Bucketty's actually sort of appealed, they're like, yeah, actually, um, we agree it doesn't look that different to all of the labels in the country, but not all of those labels in the country have been brought to us. Uh, and so that says we've got a big problem in the design of beer labels across the whole of industry, that it's one of the most widely celebrated by our industry and in the panel that we asked to adjudicate also said it appeals to minors. Mm, and it's crazy. I, yeah, it's crazy, a real disconnect. You know, if you're thinking that, that, that something that is seen as, you know, has design merit and is obviously very popular as well is potentially uh, problematic or non-compliant, uh, that's a problem. I think the idea, you know, or the, the mechanism that they only respond to complaints is problematic as, as well and that, you know, it kind of reminded me of, a, of, a, of an argument that we get in the pub quite often, you know, uh, and it's like, well, Yes, it might it might be a little bit iffy and in breach, but but look at that guy. You know, he's more pissed than I am. Yep. <laughs> you know, you're refusing me service, and, and it's the same kind of argument. But in this context, clearly doesn't make sense in the pub. But uh, in this context, it 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 needs to be considered. I think like clearly the mechanism's broken if something that can be so popular, so successful, uh, is deemed non-compliant, and that the only way that this body can adjudicate is if a complaint is made, and that's... But I think the challenge is, Jade, like, and this is the thing that I find really frustrating. So currently the IBA uh, do not fund and are not members of ABAC, and most small independent breweries are not a member of that. So if we continue just down a path where there is such a disconnect between where the whole of industry is going and what we, what we as an industry go, oh, this seems acceptable... And where ABAC is, we are going to see government regulation. We are going to see government step in over the top to create a body that uh, will go through a consultation. Pro- that will be something, it will, it will not be better the devil you know. And so notwithstanding that there is this disconnect, um, and this kind of leads back to you know the conversation we're having before. Everybody is so strung out with no money, including associations like the IBA, who are primarily funded by their small members, who have no margins because they're doing all of the things because it's 603 breweries in a market that is not growing for people that want to drink beer. And so who funds these bodies to be proactive? And, and Matt and I um, participated in supporting Wobba last year to curate some panels that we were going to put out through the Bruce News channels. Um, and we actually contacted ABAC and we're like, hey, can you come and do a presentation? We think it would be really valuable. But it's in WA. No, we, we can't do that. Because who's going to fund them to get over there? Who's going to fund the person who's not a full-time employee of that association time? And nobody wants to do it. So I just come back to sort of, yeah, there's a, we, we have an issue. It's a structural issue for the industry. But the only solution is, to your point, more education, more accessible, blah, 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 all of those things, fix the problem. Who's going to fund that and drive that? Because if the big breweries do it, small breweries opt out. Small breweries don't have the money to pay for it. And yet it's in, it's in the less 
it's in the um, interests of small businesses who don't have massive legal departments <laughs> to actually get it right in the first instance. So, you know, I, I just think it's a shame for someone like Buckety's who should be able to be promoting this beer, a very small brewery, new brewery, using this win to sort mm. of help solidify their place. They've just opened a venue, they're lovely people, and now they're caught in this catch-22 of like, well, we've got to stop using that label. So anyway, rant over. Sorry, everyone. but it's 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 going to be the huge <laughs> challenge for the brewing. It's it's the the constant tension that the brewing industry is going to have because on one hand, innovation and design and creativity and you know the, the move to cans was all driven around the art space that the can creates, but then the language of beer design needs to appeal to adults um you know where and it's just very very challenging i don't you know if you go back to the old beer cans they you know there was a vernacular um to the design you immediately knew something was a beer these days it is very very hard to tell at, at, at first glance whether something is a beer or something else and then you have to read it and it it it, it is going to be a problem but the end result is that if we don't work out a way to do it um, there is a very and ever growing stronger anti-alcohol lobby that would like to see plain packaging, um, you know, or, or cigarette-style um, labelling um, on 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 beer cans. Well, at least we could tell that they were beers, then, couldn't we? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. there are some some labels that I, I don't know if they're beer or not, and uh, don't, certainly don't know what kind of beer it is and who the brewery is. Not that that's a problem necessarily, but it's certainly a, a trend. And I'm wondering whether the design community and industry could be involved in this as well um, mm. and you know, expect the design uh, community to be all over you know ABAC and, and restrictions and all that and, and codes of conduct and then if we can you know just develop an IBA code of conduct in conjunction with designers and you know obviously self-regulation is is going to be a much is going to lead to a much better outcome than than um having to be externally regulated and it's also a no win for the iba when you look at the how divisive the topic is where some people say well the industry needs to be this and then others say you're stifling industry you're going to risk upsetting some potential members or you you, you look like you're an organ of the the, the big players and it, it's a really really tough I- issue but i think abac is is really striding that line pretty well and Matt, not to, because um, I seem to be the person who's done this this week, even though I normally hate it. Um, we did, there was a chat in the um, Radio Brews News Facebook group. It was a post by Daniel Gelbert. And it showed the way that non-alks are being positioned in supermarket aisles now. And it was a photo of non-alks underneath a sign that said lunchbox drinks. And this is sort of touched on in the ABAC story. If you read it from Brews News, it talks about bucketies, it talks about uh, better beer, but it also talked about ad placements. And to your point, Jay, um, you know, the, the chat in the group went something like, that would have just been a night filler who was like, oh, I've got to put out these products. Here is this shelf space. You've allocated non-alks to this shelf space and you've filled it in. But I just, you look at the signage and you go, imagine if those non-alks had appeal to minor type packaging because it's getting blurrier because more of our craft breweries are putting it in and you just go the buyers those supermarkets 
in my view, should not be commingling those drinks into sort of the space. Shouldn't be being commingled. And, and for those who haven't seen the photo, it's a shelf in a supermarket and you've got one of the things that hangs down from a rail above telling you what the section is. And if you look past the, the photo, you can actually see that the popper juices and the, you know, the lunchbox drinks are there and the sign is just a little bit mispositioned. So it's actually over the alcohol-free section. And it, it's, it's exactly the problem that was highlighted that, um, and, and this is just obviously, um, that's where the sign was, that's where it goes to tell the next, you know, they're going to have alcohol-free drinks. Um, but it's a really bad look. Yeah, it's a bad look and it, and it talks about sort of we've talked about ad placements before where, and, you know, Jay, Jade mentioned designers should know. Well, ad buyers should know. Supermarkets should know. Supermarket shelf packers should know. And, the, and, and what ends up happening is you as a brand, if you were distributing that widely, be it ALK or non-ALK, the further away it is from your brewery, the less control you have over what happens, including your ad placements. And as a... Again, structurally, everybody doesn't know, clearly. Even even ad buyers don't know, which is sort of part of what keeps coming up through ABAC. But yeah, and I, I think this is just going to invite more scrutiny and it's a very, I'm not sure which supermarket it was, but it was a very, very uh, uh, silly mistake for them to make. They could easily, just not having alcohol-free drinks next to you know, lunchbox drinks would be a fairly easy way to avoid that one. But uh, actually, just going back to the Can Design Awards, um, if you didn't win a Can Design, but you wanted to, you know, dress up your, uh, you know, packaging to look a little bit better, because it is a bit of a billboard. Um, Sabrina, can you think of, you know, how you might be able to uh, place yourself, uh, you know, a little bit more visibly on the shelves? I'm just like running through the Rolodex in my mind, Matt, of all of the potential options. And I was thinking maybe you might call... The guys at Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging. Because they are a billboard. They're the mini billboard. They Seriously, though, uh, you can get all of the specs right on your can or bottle. So it looks at best at all times. Call the guys at Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rowlingsprint.com.au to see how they can help you and make your brand sing. Seamless. <laughs> so smooth. <laughs> uh, now, uh, so moving down, Bruise News launches the Inspired Report. Thanks to HPA. Um who uh, sponsored the report. Bruce News launched our Inspired Report, our inaugural roundup of academic research projects focused on the brewing industry being undertaken across Australia. Uh, With more than 600 breweries in Australia and counting, the growing industry has caught the attention of interdisciplinary researchers. And while brewers have been linking up with experts in higher education for many years, the Inspired Report is the first time that this research has been collected in one place. So if you want to find out a little bit, and we've got, there's Wi-Fi, there's uh, 5G, there's uh, hops, and there's uh, a great um, study from HPA um, for some of their own research into uh, hops. So uh, yeah, um, jump on that. Sounds fantastic. Well done. No, this is is, is very exciting. And to help coordinate uh, academics and research uh, with breweries and brewers on the ground, very very exciting. And uh, you know, we we have, and I'm sure most breweries have, when given the opportunity, love to have a chat. To, uh, to you know people working in, in labs if they're looking at you know obscure yeast strains and and I've, I've had several lab workers say look you know what would a brewery want you know what's your kind of what's your ideal yeast profile you know and they're, they're thinking about it and they working with wine and have been for many many years particularly in SA there's a lot of great depth of knowledge and research when it comes to that but 
making the crossover to beer. There are a lot of researchers who want to who want to do it, and a lot of brewers who want to know the results. So I think it's um yeah, well done. I think it's a, a fantastic initiative. A couple of things that I would sort of say. This took the journalists quite some time to pull together, as you say, Jade, to get all of the academics to provide <laughs> information is quite a piece of work. But you know, it really covered areas across collaboration and tourism influence of training on the perception of beer so all sorts of topics from you know fermenting with sorghum etc and i guess the call out that this um report is putting out there is that if you would like to get in touch with any of the researchers because you're a brewery who's interested in one of these topics get in touch with us research at brewsnews.com.au or if you are a researcher who is looking to try and find breweries <laughs> to provide information to you and you don't know how to get in touch with them or who the right people is get in touch with us because this is really about um, the unglamorous work of creating connections to further the whole of industry. So get involved. And congratulations to our journalists, uh, Claire Burnett and uh, Vivian Topalovic, for pulling that together. So I'd just like to, to add, including uh, and incorporating industry as well. So, you know, yeah, that's HBA right. and, and, and Maltzers, you know, because they're obviously doing a lot of, of excellent research themselves, which... You know, they're often quite happy to share with brewers, but to, to tie that in then with academics as well, I think uh, can only be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on, Coles Legacy's first quarter sales decline, uh, now similar to uh, Endeavour Group, which we reported on recently, bottle shop sales have been down. Uh, it has been offset by hotels. One of the interesting uh, things that came out of is the amount of noise that we've seen around the release of a new 3.5% ABV mid-strength lager endorsed by Vikings actor Travis Fimmel, MasterChef Australia winner Andy Allen, and Blake Bowden, co-founder and director of Jetty Road Brewery, before it was bought out by Mighty Craft earlier this year. The beer marketed as an ultra-low carb is situated in the same space as Endeavour Groups. In fact, you could say that they're directly targeting uh, better beer, a collaboration between Mighty Craft brand, Torque Beverage uh, Company, and social media influencers inspired unemployed. In addition, as part of this focus on exclusive liquor brands, 30 new low and no alcohol products were also added yeah, to the liquor portfolio. So that's where the alarm bells uh, ring for me. Um, you know, the, the number of breweries that we've seen expand on the back of national ranging, um, you would have to feel that y your ranging is always going to be very, very uh, tenuous unless you can get significant pull through because... Um, both the, the big retailers are actually significantly investing in their own brands um, and also looking at uh, things like Traveller, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure the liquid is fine for, for people who like it, but it very much seems like Iron Jack to uh, Better Beer's Great Northern. Oh, I reckon if, you know, if Floki had made a beer, it would be a, a lot more interesting, I think. You know, we'd probably be looking at a, at a, at a farmhouse beer <laughs> rather than a, <laughs> a, a mid-strength, low-carb uh, mid low lager. Um, and there's these, you know, very, uh, very, very mighty goals and aims for this beer, sort of world, if not international domination, which doesn't really seem to square with the style at all. It's, it's um, a lifestyle brand, but really is that you know it's 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 a, it's amusing but I, I i don't see how anyone can be excited by it um and you know if that's the next beer you know the next national brand that can take it to the world then um you know then uh, that doesn't doesn't say much for um national brands for beer or for australia i think you know yeah look i i, 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 week, I think you've really, nailed it you what, know piss week yeah. what, what, 
Well, when you look at the brand, um, and again, I'm sure the liquid is fine. Blake knows what he's doing. But if you look at the brand, as you said, you know, on, on one hand, all of the visuals are about travel, but then you've got chefs and then you've got a TV star involved and you've got a kangaroo on the label and we're going to take it internationally. This just sounds like a camel, you know, the horse that's been designed by a committee where they've just gone, well, we want a little bit of uh, Great Northern's doing really well, so we want that outdoors spirit. Um, Better Beer's doing well, so we want that. Um, There isn't an international beer, so chuck a kangaroo on, which almost guarantees that it's not going to be terribly appealing to Australian beer drinkers because that's, you know, critter imagery doesn't really work as well for Australians well, as I think it does it's for a Qantas the international guests. Yeah, well, who knows? But yeah, but uh, but the, the the thing for me is that, you know, you've got, we've seen Better Beer do so well for Endeavour and now Coles needs a Me Also version um, that in addition to their own additions is going to you know, be taking shelf space away from small, bre- small breweries. And they haven't decided so... Coles needs one and they haven't selected to hero one of the ones that they already sell that might be being produced by craft beer. They are making it themselves. If this takes off, which given the amount of shelf space it does and given the amount of Instagram ability that the campaigns will no doubt have, it probably will gain some traction. And it is this point, Matt, that you and I have been going on about for some time, which is that you know, retail, the duopoly in retail is becoming craft beer, craft brands are starting or have started and are putting in kit on the basis of growth. And to your point, uh, Jade, before, growth for what's sake, growth presumably to hit some sort of economies of scale that they think are coming with nowhere to sell their beer. They're not selling it into retail. They can't get it into taps. They are not selling enough direct they are making more. Pro- they they keep talking about um, and someone one of our recent guests brought this up in terms of crowd funds. They're constantly talking about more equipment. And they're not talking about how they're going to sell it. So, craft brewers, the six hundred and six that are currently that are, have kits of their own that are currently on our database, in addition to all of the brands, where's their beer going to sell if it's not going to sell in retail because they're selling their own? Well, because yeah, the, the the big retailers target the small retailers. Um, and it, it, it's all part of the consolidation, you know. The number of breweries is not going to survive. It just, it's just not, the numbers are not going to work. So, Unless they're anyway. all small local breweries, but so many of them are investing in growth, as uh, Jade said. So, um, well, that's our news for the week. Uh, just conscious of the time. So looking at, uh, we've covered the mailbag from Daniel Gelbert uh, on the Facebook group. Something that leapt to my attention after the budget um, this week was... We don't have too much sales data available to us in Australia, um, but when the federal government is doing their budget um, planning, they look at how much they think they're going to get from excise. Um, And top shelf drinkers will pour an extra $400 million into government coffers, but uh, that's going to come from excise on spirits and pre-mixed drinks, whereas uh, we're turning away from beer with tax receipts forecast to drop by $30 million. Um, some of that will obviously come from the excise rebate that's been increased, but obviously less beer being sold, less excise to the government. Yeah, I mean, it, one of the justifications for the uh, 
for excise, you know, or wet equity, and the drop in excise was obviously to encourage uh, further investment in breweries and, and greater production, which in turn would lead to more uh, employment and more growth, which would in turn lead to more tax. So it was tax uh, positive for the government. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether that is something that actually uh, comes to pass. I mean, in, in, I think in so-called normal trading conditions, it may well be. Um, you know, uh, current conditions with COVID, which is still a thing, as much as we would like it not to be. You know, I'm fond of saying we might be done with COVID. COVID's not done with us, and certainly the hospitality wing of uh, breweries is uh, still hurting significantly. Um, and then inflation and you know, interest rates and all that kind of year. You know, power prices are gonna 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 really kick off and gonna start biting. So with all those pressures, you know, it, it's it's not necessarily a, a good indication of um, of of what would otherwise uh, have come to pass without those factors uh, and with a uh, an excise break. So you know, it would be um, disappointing if the government saw that as an uh, as a um, an excuse, so to speak, to reduce funding in this. In, in our industry uh, and I think it's definitely a positive from a small brewery perspective and sorry in the context of COVID for us for example not having to pay excise has uh, as a game changer mm. absolute game changer and I think for those really small um, on-site uh, breweries brew pubs hospitality venues um, it's it's made a, an enormous difference if you were going to try and make a beer and you needed to set up your brewery Matt Yep. And you were thinking, mm, what's going to help me in my brewing process? Is there anyone that you can think of? I always turn my thoughts to a good quality hose. Uh, and the people that I think of when I think of good quality hoses is Dixon Asia Pacific. Because a good quality hose is an important part of the brewing process and aids in producing good quality beer. What's great with a company like Dixon is the way that they stock a comprehensive range of FDA-approved non-tainting rubber and PVC hose for all brewing applications, as well as couplings, clamps and ferrules for a fully integrated and safe hose assembly. Visit dixonvalve.com.au today to find out more. There's a link in the show notes and uh, you'll also find them on our business directory. So that's our news to discuss for the week. Uh, now, we do have a brewery of the week uh, courtesy of Bluestone Yeast, and Bluestone Yeast ships all over the country and uses sustainable, environmentally friendly packaging. Uh, you can find out more about their packaging via the link in the show notes, and it helps keep the yeast cold for up to five days. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03 8518 3172 and talk all things yeast and he uh, does love a good chat about yeast um, and you'll find his number in the show notes if you weren't able to take that down quickly jade you had some thoughts about uh, a great brewery of the week this week well i just uh, shout out to lobethal beer house so um one of the originals in in south australia of the of the second wave uh alan rosie been um, uh, making really good beer for a long time and as mentioned previously uh, doing some micro malting as well and I think one of the one of the things uh, really uh, admire about local the beer house is uh, again touching on what we mentioned before big enough's big enough you know they had the the opportunity um, uh, many years ago to spread their wings and start moving their beer into state or even more broadly across uh, across South Australia and they went actually no this is this is enough you know we're doing enough we're making enough beer uh, we might want to close for a week and, and have a holiday you know there's 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 that that, that element of of balance I'm seriously jealous about that one um, uh, <laughs> and the the notion of of, of uh, you know big big enough is big enough. 
you know, and being able to say no to opportunities rather than just think, you know, that necessarily the world will be a better place with your beer everywhere in it. Um, and, uh, you know, how, how are all these people surviving without being able to drink my beer in Sydney or Brisbane, Melbourne, et cetera? I think just, just uh, uh, organic growth, bringing it in-house, malting, collaborating with other breweries, but also uh, with, with whiskey distillers, for example, down at uh, Flurio Distilling and making some, um, you know, Gareth and Ange making single malt whiskey out of Owl's and Owl and Rosie's malt, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that's fantastic. And I think uh, talking about scale, which we did earlier, um, it's they're, they're doing things on a scale which is sustainable. And uh, I think that is to be, um, is to be uh, you know, respected, I think. And there, no, there aren't many people of that ilk in the industry. It's kind of growth, 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 growth in the inevitability of growth the inevitability of uh, overcapitalization and then waiting for the tap on the shoulder. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's quite refreshing that they're uh, they're happy to just uh, you know do do their thing in their own way and do it well. And I'm just looking at the their beers and they've got a really pleasing mix, mix of the old. You know, they were founded 15 years ago in 2007, um, but they've got a mix of some of the beers you would have found back in those days. You know, the the, the classic porter, the uh, British uh, India pale ale. Um, but then they've also got, you know, a hoppy citra, they've got a pale ale, um, and some of the new, and, and then the creme brulee. So a little bit of mix there. So I'm definitely going to have to check them out on your recommendation, Jade. And Thank you for that. Porter and the chocolate stout are my standouts, I reckon. They're, they're crackers. There you go. Jade, thank you very much for joining us uh, this week. It's been great. And I think we will have to uh, pick up some of these themes about you know 20 years of the, the weedy um, and some of the changes in, in, in a much longer chat. More than happy to. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sabrina. Nice to chat to you, Jade. Feels like it's uh, um, hearing 20 years of history. <laughs> in, Fil- in, fills in some of Matt's, um, Matt's sort of... Matt's gaps. Like arc. Yeah, his arc. I well, it. I think I wrote about the weedy about 15 years ago for the Virgin yeah. Inflight magazine. So... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So it's been a long time. Yeah, it's fantastic. We, we go way back, way back. <laughs> and that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz, and special guest Jade Flavel. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joanne Helder. We thank Bintani, Railings Label Stickers and Packaging, and Dixon Asia Pacific for their support in making this episode possible, as well as Bluestone Yeast. Thank you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. You can also join us for the conversations in the Facebook group. And with that, for another week, we are out. <laughs>